And I think for men, we have to not be so fragile ourselves that we're afraid to let women have such a, a bigger presence. listening to The Boundless Heart, the podcast empowering women into shameless self-respect, independence, and equal partnership. I'm your host, LC, and I'm here to tell you because I have been through it and I am learning quickly that when we put ourselves first and when we prioritize pleasure in our lives, the world literally rises up to meet us and take us even higher. Life gets really fun when you put pleasure first. That means you enjoy life. My guest today, Barton Bryan, host of the Mindset Forge podcast, is here to open up a conversation with me that a lot of people find it difficult to have. Because when one section of the population is oppressed, the other one feels like maybe they're getting, um, blamed for it. Well, (laughs) let's just look beyond that for now and have this conversation with the white cis man in his 40s who is willing to talk about these things and to hear things that maybe he hasn't been aware of. And I've learned from this conversation too. So take this out into your own community and into your own space. Let's keep opening these doorways and windows and pathways to a world where we all respect and honor each other. I'm going to start with the hashtag smash the patriarchy because I'm just curious what it feels like from just a regular 46-year-old white male's perspective. What is the initial reaction to that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I saw that hashtag and I first thing, I don't really take offense to people wanting to smash or take down or kind of shift the way we look at how of a male-dominated society has kind of done things. And, you know, so I does, that, that hashtag doesn't bother me. I, I think there's a lot of room for our society to kind of shift and really take everyone's perspective and everyone's desires in a way that celebrates all people's opportunity and not just like, hey, we got to prop up the men. The men are going to be our leaders and we got to prop them up and let them be completely scandalous and you know, everybody else just figure it out. That's what we don't want, right? So we have to kind of call it something. And I like the word smash because it's such an actionable term, which I think you got to use in today's society to really get people to listen and respond and, and think. And so great. Smash the patriarchy. That's a good point. And when I see it, I'm kind of like, well, the patriarchy is so violent. And now we're saying, do something really violent (laughs) against something that's really violent, but it does get people's attention, I think. And from a female perspective, girls are taught to keep things in and not be angry. We can't show anger or disappointment in anybody or anything. We have to just put on that happy face and show up and be the nice girl. I'm not surprised at all that there's a lot of rage. (laughs) coming up right now with all of the things that are horrible that have just been happening kind of behind closed doors or behind the curtains where we haven't really seen it. Now with social media being so prevalent, we can see more things and 
whoever has been oppressed is going to be a little pissed. <laughs> so I'm just not surprised in kind of the uprising. How about you? I feel like you had something to say on that one. Yeah, I just think that this is a time with social media and just the kind of ability for people to have a voice without having classical power. Back in the English rule of the most of the world and you know like and that just colonial times you had very few people that had all of the power and had one there was one voice that really ruled everything and slowly but surely people have found that they have more of a voice more opportunity to speak their mind and i think that obviously we know that that can be kind of abused and going too far and people are just kind of like on twitter like just being bullies but I think the other opportunity is that there's people can speak up and say, hey, I don't like that. That's not cool. That comes from a place of manipulation or that feels like a male trying to dominate or a male trying to, to have power over a situation and not represent everybody. We need to find a place in our society where everyone feels there is space to have whatever emotions. It's not that we're allowed, we want to run around and all be angry and show it, but we got to find a space where we can be human beings and grow and, and have grace when we make mistakes and that's okay. You shouldn't feel like if you go to work and you're in a work environment, you have no room to make mistakes. Men have plenty of room to make mistakes. In fact, oftentimes those mistakes are quickly, you know, kind of brushed under the carpet in some way to kind of keep the momentum of that person's career going, whereas other people may not feel that or may not have that experience at all. And that's not just a male-female thing. That's race and sexual preference, all the things that make people kind of other to that white male society that has for so long kind of been the powerful place that everyone kind of speaks from. Right. I really am loving your perspective on this. And it gives me hope, <laughs> not that I didn't have it, because I know a lot of white men who are really wonderful and don't agree with the patriarchal programs either. And they're ready for a change as well. And the thing to remember, for me at least, is, or I guess the thing that I like to remind people of, I'll just say that right now, is that it's not like we want white men to fall. We just want everyone to have the same level of what you were saying, ability to be a human, ability to have a voice and take up space. It's actually quite perfect that just a week ago or so, I had Eliza Van Court on, who wrote A Woman's Guide to Claiming Space, and how even with the way we express ourselves, with our voice, with our posture, we can actually claim more space, but we're not taught how to do it. We can learn. And the other thing that she talked about a lot, at least in her book, was you don't know what you don't know. And if you were born into this certain society as this certain person, you you don't actually even realize how your actions might be affecting other people because it's just the way things have always been. One example I'll just give right here is the reason women typically talk faster than men is because two things, we are interrupted far more and we have to justify our reasons for everything. So we have to basically get twice as much in because we have to logically explain why our opinion or our suggestion is worth everyone's ears. And that's interesting to me. <laughs> and it's 
Yeah. It's true. I've seen it. I don't know if you have a response. No, I mean, you know, I don't know. And that's one of those things where it's like, I don't even know if I'm aware of that. Like, you may notice that in a specific situation where a female coworker or somebody is uh, is trying to get her point across quickly and maybe is even, you know, just just very, very fast in how she talks and expresses herself. And I've remembered that, especially on Zoom now, like everyone's trying to talk and thinking like, oh, like slow down, like we're listening, right? But I'm not going to say that to her. Like I'm just giving her the opportunity to speak. But I do think I didn't know yeah. that at all, but that that makes sense to me. Yeah. And the interruptions too is really interesting. It's just so interesting how not everyone, I wouldn't think that you're like this. As I said, I know a lot of white men that totally give space to the women in their lives. We're just sort of brought up in this situation and in this culture where we see from our parents how, or, or our caregivers or our teachers, how they are speaking and how much they're interrupted and how it's just interesting. And like I, like I said, I'm not an expert, but just notice, right? And then also, if you are being interrupted, there are ways of pointing it out. And some men or whoever is interrupting you are going to get really defensive and deny it. And really the response you want to have, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that I was doing that. I won't do it again. Simple. I think, too, you got to realize who your audience is when you're having a conversation, when there's a back and forth. I will tell you that men who talk with just men around are very easy to, to cut each other off. And like the moment they think they know what the person's trying to say, boom, they're coming back with a zinger. And they want like and it, because there's a competitiveness to conversation, to being intellectually intelligent or just or whatever. And we don't necessarily as men, we don't worry about the feelings of the other person so much as just the energy of a conversation sometimes is actually more fun in that back and forth kind of ping pong match of a conversation that it is like hearing somebody fully letting them kind of finish their thought and then starting your conversation or starting your thought. But I think we have to understand that when there are you know, men and women in the room and that everybody needs to be heard and everybody needs to have you know, an equal opportunity to speak. And I will tell you, men are very, because we're quick to jump a conversation and say something, we tend to be the ones that get a chance to talk more because we don't care about like hurting somebody's feelings. We're like, well, let me go, let me, you know, and what that does is that allows more men to have more words spoken in a, in a large group, you know, or conversation or meeting when there may be other men and women who have lots of great ideas that just aren't willing to be that rude and cut people off to speak. And so, I think in, in that type of situation, it's like, it's like a meeting that everybody should have a chance to kind of speak their mind. I think the opportunity is for whoever the moderator of the room is or whoever the person that maybe is the elder of the room should just kind of set that tone and set that kind of expectation that like, hey, you know what? Let's make sure everybody gets a chance to talk. And then at the end of the conversation, say, hey, has anybody else missed an opportunity to kind of say something that you feel like would be valuable? Which, you know, I mean, and that's some of that's like, going to that next level of communication leadership, you know, so that everybody, A, if you feel heard, if you feel like men or woman, you feel heard, you feel listened to, you feel like your, your ideas are valuable. Wow, what a better experience that entire situation is. It really is. And you're sitting here saying you're not an expert and I feel like you're coaching the whole world right now <laughs> in communication. 
<laughs> I know you're not an expert, but that was, it was interesting for me as well, because I didn't necessarily know that about a group of guys. And there is a difference, of course, in the workplace, as opposed to just hanging out with friends. I mean, I'll interrupt my guy friends too, if I'm just hanging out with them and we're just, you know, having a fun conversation back and forth and we're playing, we're joking, whatever. Here's something else that I would love to bring up <laughs> because it's also a thing. You're saying that men don't really care so much about other people's feelings and they'll just cut in. If a woman does that automatically and instantly, she is a bitch. Whereas if a man does that, he is just assertive. And that needs to change because that keeps women back. Again, yeah. the cultural conditioning is why well, I can't be a bitch. To be a woman in power, I have to make sure that everyone is okay with me. Otherwise, you're a bitch and people just hate you. <laughs> it's like, because I have an opinion, I'm a bitch? Okay, whatever. So then there's a lot of work that we need to be doing. And that's what my podcast really is for, is for us to be doing this work so we don't care so much that people are going to have their own shit and they'll project it on us. And that doesn't have to stop us from being as powerful as we are. Yeah. And we are. Can we talk about your wife? Absolutely. <laughs> so when you say she's a powerful woman, what does that mean? There's so many ways that could go. First of all, she is so passionate about teaching CPR. She, on a daily basis, is creating lifesavers. Basically, people who know how to save lives. Her heart and her true passion in life, they're all aligned. And so everything that she's doing is about like saving lives and giving people the information so that they can go out and save people's lives. And so it is just magic for her because it's aligning the heart for who she is and how she wants to help and how she wants to kind of put goodness into the world. And there's a business around that. There's energy around that. When I say powerful woman, it's, she's not going around like, you know, in the kind of masculine, stereotypical, powerful ways, like exerting her power. It's just that she is so aligned with being a great mom, being a great business person, being a leader in her community, bringing her joy to the things that she does. Like she puts on a show and she's the least like showy person, but when she's in her class, it's magic. And she has all the props. There's always a funny joke, like she's like the carrot top of CPR because she's got like snakes and, and bugs and anything. Time she's talking about the various first aid things that you need to think about. She's got a prop for it and all that. And it's just, she just has so much fun with it. And so, you know, that's powerful, that, that momentum that she has. And that just, it, it goes into how she, how she is, you know, with Jack, my son, you know, our son who's seven, and her relationships with her friends and, and the way she handles her own life and all that kind of stuff. And so I think it's just, you know, that's what I mean by powerful is that she is so aligned with who she's put on this earth to be and how she can help others. That is the dream, isn't it? To be aligned with who you are. That's awesome. I'm so happy. I want to talk to her. <laughs> how did she get there? <laughs> Do you know? Do you know any part of that? Like, what was her process to getting there? Most people aren't there. And that, that's not just women. That's most people aren't aligned and they have trouble finding that. She chose when Jack was born to not go back to being an HR director. You know, she chose to stay home and be a mom and start to build her business. And so that was a choice she made. That was a risk that she took, knowing that we had benefits and 401k and all those things that were 
guaranteed. It started, you know, seven years ago when she made that choice for herself. But, you know, everything's seasons of life and the challenges with raising a kid and, and all the other things and my work and how busy I've been. It's just, it hasn't always been like this, you know, success is not a, a perfectly straight line that goes from the beginning to where she's at. Like it's been all over the place and she's thriving. All those things are still a part of it, but she's, you know, she's found a way. It is so wonderful when somebody is able to make those choices for themselves where I don't want to do this patriarchal job and I would rather do what my heart is beating for. And it that includes being a mother, that includes working on your own business, providing more benefit to the world, I would say, than most people who are paid more than your wife. This is kind of the issue. How... How do we get to a place where those choices are honored just as much as achieving all of the big things? You know what I'm talking about? The predominantly male-like dominated things of, I'm going to make this money, I'm going to raise these buildings and make a ton of money. But the people who are raising the children are just like, I actually just saw this meme or this this Twitter, I don't know what it was. But it said like, the woman is not being supported. The, pers- the woman staying home taking care of the kids is not being supported. She is supporting her husband's career by providing free childcare, free cleaning, free cooking, all of these things. And I think that's where our society just doesn't get the equality aspect of these services are extremely valuable that women typically are providing without any pay and depending on who you're with, a lot of times, just without the understanding of how valuable these things are. (laughs) So that was a lot. I said a lot there. Yeah. I think there's so much, there's so much to the roles that we all play in raising children, in keeping a household, keeping yourself afloat, all those things. And I think also somebody's personality type too, I think plays into that. Yeah. And because my wife, she's a woman, but she's also a number two in the Enneagram, which is a helper. So she's somebody that classically wants to help others first, whether that's my son, myself, or the neighbors, anybody who needs support, help. She is all in, which I think really aligns with CPR instructor because it's, you know, what is she doing if not helping the world have more life-saving human beings out there who can save you if you have a heart attack or choke on a bone or something, right? So it works perfect. But, but, she, but in 2019, and we talked about it this morning, she said, I really had to take ownership of putting myself first, that self-care with exercise, with stopping and doing her work for her business, you know, instead of just always be defaulting to the other things that she had going on or that would help other people. And so I think it's, you know, she talks about taking ownership of her, you know, her day and how to kind of, she needed to prioritize herself a little bit more. And so I think that was key for her at that time to allow her to make this incredible leap from where she was at 2019 to today. And that is, I think, really what is going to make the biggest shift in the world is if we all start to say me first, (laughs) me first, because I have to, in order to even give it's not selfish, which we're taught. It's so selfish to take care of yourself. Like, what are you talking about? 
It's the only way we can really provide for anyone else or be there for anyone else is if we're taking care of ourselves. So I love that. Owning your own day, doing what you need to do for yourself first, and that's going to change the world. And being flexible too. I mean, you got to, if a day is so rigid that it has to be a certain way or else like you fall off, (laughs) you fall down and you're, you're, oh, I can't, like, we can't be so rigid as people. And the first thing they'll teach you that is kids, right? You know, your kids have no schedule. (laughs) So, but I think, you know, hey, these are the things I want to get accomplished today. I always try to do everything that's for me specifically in the morning. Like I go to the gym in the morning. I try to get as much of the me time done before, you know, the phone starts blowing up with emails and text messages and those types of things before my son gets home from school, those types of stuff. And my wife's the same way because that's our time. When Jack's home from school at three o'clock, that's our time with Jack. And, you know, and so that's important to kind of see yeah. your day in those ways so that we can make the most of, of the time that we allot for ourselves. Yeah, I really love that you brought up the flexibility aspect of it, because if you think about masculine and feminine energies, the masculine energy is more of that rigid structure and the feminine energy is more flexible. So if we can have elements of both in our lives, we will be more balanced And that will balance out again the world. This is really all we want is it to just come back into balance. Let's move on now to, unless you had something to say there. No, no, you nailed it. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about your time in a culture that was not American. Where did you go? What was that for? As soon as I graduated college, I went off to Peace Corps Mauritania and One of the things I realized right off the bat was, of course, women are are pretty much fully covered, although it's not like the Middle East where it's like the burqa and all that kind of stuff. It's a little more, a little less like assaulting on the body at at 110 degrees outside. I mean, it's, but it's still women covered, veils and things like that, and a very patriarchal society for so many reasons, you know, with tradition and the cultures of those, those areas and the harshness of all, you know, the life out there. And so... I got put in a village called Jajabine, which was a black African community in just in the southern tip of Mauritania near Senegal and, and Mali. And it was this farming community of about 3,000 people. And I was put with the Kante family, who were the blacksmiths of the village. And so they named me Guy Kante. So for two years, my name is Guy Kante. And I'm living with Kome and Hujeji Kante. Those are the parents, uh, the husband and wife. And their kids, and there was a couple of newborns, and it was just a crazy mess. And I ate with them, and they brought me a bucket of water every day, and I had a little mud hut that I lived in for two years. But in that experience, especially living with that family, it was very interesting to be an outsider looking in at the dynamics of men and women, the roles. Girls' education was big because most girls would pulled out of school by their families to do all the work around the house and that kind of stuff. And so it was just an interesting perspective being an American, looking at this community and, and how they did things and understanding like or trying to understand kind of the why behind the way things kept going. And I was like, I don't understand that. Why do we keep doing that? Like, why is that a thing? But then it made me look at my own culture and said, I bet there's a lot of those things that we do that we don't even realize we're doing over and over that don't make a lot of sense. Oh, yes, there are. (laughs) Yeah. I am so curious. When the girls were pulled out of school, did they want to be? Do you know? 
a lot of times they're pulled out of school third, fourth, fifth grade. Now the schools are not well run. They're, they're not learning very much and there's no light for them to study at night. A lot of their parents don't read or write and never went to school. And so you're talking about a very rudimentary system of school, but what it came down to, cause I kept asking the elders, like, what is the deal? Why? And it was the, it's the moms and the grandmas that would pull the kids out to say, no, can't go to school. We need you to go get water from the well. Hey, we have this drought. The, the closest well water is a kilometer away. You need to walk eight buckets back and forth from 6 AM to 10 AM and give us water. Cause we can't live without water. Well, you know what we ended up doing? We got the Ministry of Water to come out and dig two wells right in the village. Water shot up. It was like you would like it was the craziest moment because in my eyes, I thought, you know, they saw this water shooting out of the out of these you know, wells that we were creating. But what what it really did was it gave the community a place to go get really good water very quickly and took all the problems of like the massive amount of manual labor that the daughters were doing for the family away. And the very next year, the moms and the grandmas and, and the elders said, the girls are going back to school. It was cool to think, wow, it wasn't so much just this kind of like dogma or stigma or like women can't be smart. It was really just like, you know, we don't know anyone else to do it. Right. And it was kind of a weird thing of like they, once we solved the water problem, well, then there was a lot more time for these girls to go actually get their education. And that was more important because there was less to do around the house. So what you're saying is that when work needed to be done and nothing was really happening in the schools, the boys were allowed to sit and do nothing in the schools while the girls were doing all of the work. Yeah, there's still there's. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I was like, why can't the why can't the boys do this? Well, the girls do it typically. But the other thing was, is that. They're, yeah, they would kind of pick the smart kids. And so there were some girls that would make it all the way to junior high school and, and, and such. But the family would definitely try to like hand select who the, the, the smarter or more adept kids at school were. Because if you could get a kid into high school, <laughs> I know it, it, it's sad, but it's kind of the truth. Because what they could do is send them to France to live with family members in France. And they could mm -hmm. work in France and make a thousand times more money in France and send it back to the village than they could ever do by being somebody in the village. Yeah. So, you know, some of that stuff is just survival, but yes, there was very much like a role, like the women do these jobs. It's not something the boys do. So you're right in the sense that like, yeah, boys could help out, but nobody ever thought that. Yeah. And are the boys actually smarter or is that is it the teaching style? Is it the, you know, that's just something else to think about and look at. And of course yeah. it's in every woman's mind. Like mm, I was pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. And all the, and mo all the teachers were men, right? So, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. Again, looking from the outside is a different view. Absolutely. And we're both white in America mm. and while Hawaii is a little different, there's just differences, but <laughs> we're still white in America and that's where we're coming from. So yes, I'm a woman and I can speak from that perspective, but I can't speak from a black woman's perspective no. or a brown woman's perspective. I can be open to hearing and I am yeah. and I do my best. And that's what we can do too, is we can do our best. Right. And also the perspective of like that community is underserved and under 
like they're not the main community of Mauritania. It's run by the Arab Moors and it's a different, totally different culture. And so they have been by themselves, basically like learning to survive for hundreds of years without the government, without asking for handouts. They're amazing in that way because they thrive and survive differently than any other community that I've ever been a part of. And so there's so many things to love about that community because they're so kind of together and steadfast and, and like their network of family members and how they all you know, function is just incredible. But at the same time, you know, we could go into the caste system and, you know, the Contes and how that relates to the elders and the nobles and all that kind of stuff. But that's a whole different conversation. But, you know, with anything, there's positives and there's opportunities in any community. And I think if coming back to America, when I listen to men talk about some of the their reaction to Me Too or, or some of these other, you know, kind of recent movements that are going on. A lot of it is I feel like they got a good situation going on. You're a white male. You're doing as long as you're high functioning and you don't have a whole bunch of problems like you're doing pretty well. I walk into a store. People smile at me. They greet me. You know, hey, what can I do for you? Like they expect a good situation to come from that conversation or from that experience. And that's not everybody's experience. And so I think we have to like you're saying, if everybody can have the same experience in terms of the freedom to be themselves, speak up and not feel like one mistake and you're, you know, considered a bitch or a whatever, you know what I mean? Like, that's what we have to figure out. It's like everyone deserves the right to, to grow and experience and become who they want to be. And, and there needs to be flexibility out there for everybody to make mistakes along the way, because we all make mistakes. That's how we get to where we are. Oh, that's really a good point right there. We all make mistakes. That's how we get to where we are. It reminds me of your podcast. I'm just going to put a plug in there for, for you. It's not, it's not the same kind of uh, <laughs> content, but it kind of is because we're talking about mindset. So Barton's podcast is the Mindset Forge. And if you want to tell us a little bit about it, you're welcome to right now. Yeah, I just, I love athletes and performing artists because I am an athlete and I was actually a singer, actor in you know, New York and got a degree in music and stuff. Like that. So I just, I love how live performance or live sport really brings out the best in, in people. And I think whether you're watching it or doing it yourself, there's a, an understanding that we have to show up so big in those moments. But the reality is we always can learn how to show up big in any moment of our life, whether it's when my son comes home from school, like putting the phone down and really engaging with him or walking into a meeting with men and women and being my best self in that moment and allowing everybody to have a voice and allowing the best ideas to be brought to the surface. Right. And so like we can always learn how to be a little bit more present, a little bit more, flexible. And one of the things that I think actors and performers learn more than anybody is that you have to fail hundreds and hundreds of times. You know, like the only reason we know about Steph Curry or somebody who's like everybody kind of in the world seems to know about is because they missed thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of shots and they failed over and over and over again, but they never gave up and they kept working hard and they kept at it and they rose to the top of their game. And now everyone's like, Oh my gosh, you know, this was the most incredible athlete or the most amazing performer. I mean, I just, I think about Celine Dion or somebody who's just, you know, 
Garth Brooks, Celine Dion, these people that could sell out hundred thousand person auditoriums, you know, just with just their own, what their voice, like they wouldn't even need music. Whitney Houston singing, <laughs> I will always love you. Like that changed the course of our world. That one song, I think that one song, like changed everybody. Like it changed the way we identified love and like intimacy. Like there's something about that song that she did that Dolly Parton wrote. Like, I mean, come on. That's what I love to talk about. And I engage my guests. I try to figure out what they're doing, how they're learning and adapting and, and putting their best foot forward, uh, whether it's preparation or the actual performance itself. And it's a great show. And I really love how you talked about Dolly Parton wrote this song, Whitney Houston sang it. I mean, that's collaboration. That's sisters getting together, changing the world. That's what we do. We rise together. All of us, all of us, every gender, every race, every everything, we rise together. So if we can come to a point where we're able in ourselves to rise up and stop letting any external experiences keep us down. We're going to fall. <laughs> We're human. We're going to fall. But as long as we don't let that stuff keep us down and we just remember to respect ourselves so shamelessly that we show up as you're teaching people to with your podcast, I'm teaching people to with mine. I guess they're not that different, are they? This world is going to change and things are going to balance out. It is going to take time. <laughs> <laughs> some work. But I think that we're at a point in this world where we can do it. And I think for men, we have to not be so fragile ourselves that we're afraid to let women have such a, a bigger presence. I mean, I think that part of the idea that men get to have this big ego or this big kind of confident personality and everybody else, whoa, like, here comes the, you know, the alpha male or what, like, it's all BS, right? It's really just a fragile ego based guy who's afraid of like bringing powerful people in together and collaborating because there's nothing more powerful than collaboration, especially when you take as many diverse thoughts and ideas and bring, bring them together in a room. I see it all the time with my company. We like have these great conversations and they're fierce and excited and people have great ideas and if the idea is king and it comes to the top, or if the idea is queen, there we go. How about that one? If the idea becomes the most important thing and not who said it and what validation that person gets for saying it, if it just becomes about the idea, then we're, we're going somewhere. Drop the mic. That was awesome. Thank you, Barton. This has been such a great conversation. If you want to continue it someday, maybe we can. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and if you want Val to be on the podcast, I, I would love for her to to be a part of it. She would say so many of the things that I've said much better and with a much more <laughs> in-depth perspective because she, I think she's really just in such a special place right now and with, with herself and, and kind of her power and, and what she's up to. I think it would be fun to, for her to tell her story. Beautiful. And hearing you being so supportive, not with just, I'm going to be the man and work and provide, but actually, actually supportive of this is amazing and energetically supporting it is yeah. awesome. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for having me on your podcast. This is special. I feel, I love that you provide this space for people to have a conversation about it. And just listening to some of your previous episodes, I just, I mean, I just think you're onto something. 
thank you so much for listening to the Boundless Heart podcast. I'm going to finish off with a few things. The first is Val. Do you want Barton's wife on the podcast to tell her story of her own empowerment? If so, please connect with me on Instagram. Boundless Heart Pod is my handle. It's also in the show notes. Second thing, I really hope that you take something from this conversation, whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it, and bring it into your community, into your friendships, into the people that you work with to continue this conversation. Barton and I come from our personal perspectives, and I know they're limited. And I know that the more perspectives we all can hear from, the more this world is going to shift into the Aquarian age which is where there is peace and harmony and love and understanding and compassion for all and collaboration, big time collaboration. Lastly, last week I told you I would need to report back because I was going to Kauai and I was going to treat myself like I loved myself insanely. And that's exactly what I did. It was wonderful. I did whatever I wanted. I ate chocolate and a hamburger and I binged Netflix But I also did a nine-mile hike that I'd wanted to do for a long time. I hung out at Hanalei Bay, Puff the Magic Dragon. (laughs) I didn't do that, though. (laughs) I don't need that. I'm already uh, out there enough. And it's just, it was wonderful. It really was a sweet date that I took myself on. And now I happen to be... (laughs) On the island on the other side of Oahu from Kauai, I'm on Maui alone for a while. And then my roommate, Myra, I love her. She's going to come out and we're going to spend some time on Maui. I feel so fortunate and blessed to be able to do this for myself. And the only reason I have afforded these opportunities is because I left a life that I fell into that I did not mean to fall into, that I didn't want to fall into, but it was what happened. When I stepped out of that life, it was super duper challenging. Yeah, I just said super duper. It was super duper challenging. (laughs) I faced a lot of inner demons when I left my relationship. And the whole time, I knew that I was doing the right thing for me, even though it felt so hard. But following that inner knowing is what women have been raised to do the opposite of. But when we start to follow that inner knowing and treat ourselves with the respect and the dignity and the insane love that we deserve, our lives really are magical because we ourselves, our magic. This honestly goes for every person in the world. Following your instincts will lead you in the right direction. It might not be the smoothest road, but it will be the most fulfilling. I'm so stoked to announce that the way I'm structuring the podcast and support for it is shifting a little bit. This episode and this podcast is supported by my inner circle, which is a group of really amazing women who are ready to detrain themselves from the patriarchal programs, step into their power and passion and pleasure, and create their own magical life. I'm going to have different options for it, 
That will be coming out soon and I'll let you know what that is going to be about. But there will be an option to simply support the podcast. There'll be an option to get group coaching every month in a sisterhood circle. And there will be an option for one-on-one coaching with me, which has been a long time coming. And I'm really excited to get started with that. So thank you again so much for being here. Thank you for shining your light. Until next time, respect yourself shamelessly. Be open to new opportunities. Live for what your heart is beating for. And I-